0: Good morning everyone. If I could ask you to turn your attention and hearts to the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord by his, and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand therefore with a truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness, like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you, Elder Mark. <clears throat> In the movie, The Usual Suspects, the villain Kaiser Soze, played by Kevin Spacey, says the following quote. <laughs> it's been long enough that I can see If you haven't seen it, my apologies. <laughs> Uh, it's a really big spoiler. Uh, He says the following quote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the uh, the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. How true are these words? When it comes to defeating your opponent? Winning a battle, there's no easier way to win than to convince your opponent that there is no enemy, that there is no battle he or she's engaged in. And that's what the devil has successfully done. Belief in the devil today is ridiculed and mocked. Perhaps some of you here this morning are thinking to yourself, I can't believe This pastor is actually preaching about the devil. Doesn't he have a college degree? How can he believe in such fairy tales? What's weird to me, however, is how so many today believe in God, but for some reason refuse to believe in the existence of the devil. According to the most recent Gallup poll, 74% of Americans believe in God, but only 58% believe in the existence of the devil. That doesn't make sense to me. Because if you are able to believe in the existence of God, what hinders you, what prevents you from believing in the existence of the devil? If you believe in something that is all good, then does that not necessarily mean that there's also something called evil? But if you only pick and choose those parts of the Bible that you want to believe in, my question to you is, who is the real authority then? In other words, if your God never disagrees with you, then perhaps the God you worship is yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, and if you only will believe in those things that you want to believe in, then the reality is you don't worship a God, you're really worshiping a projected view of yourself. The Bible is pretty consistent and clear. The devil really exists. There are malevolent forces out there that wage war against God and his kingdom, and they're doing all that they can to thwart and hinder God's purposes and God's people. Whether you realized it or not, brothers and sisters, the moment you professed faith in Jesus Christ is the moment you were marked by Satan. You were marked as his enemy and his foe. At the same time, the moment that you confessed faith in Jesus Christ is the moment you were enlisted in God's army, is the moment you became a soldier of Jesus Christ. All of us are soldiers. There's no such thing as civilians in the kingdom of God. And we are called to fight on the front lines, fight against the sworn enemy of God. But the sad reality is while all of us are soldiers, not all of us are fighting. While all of us are called to fight on the front lines, many of us are sitting on the sidelines. And so Paul ends his letter by telling and urging the church to take up the armor of God and to stand up and fight, to get off the sidelines, to stop acting like civilians and get into the battle. Now, what kind of enemy do we face? In short, a relentless enemy, a ferocious enemy, a ruthless one. This is expressed by the number of times Paul tells us to stand up in our passage. He says in verse 11, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And then verse 14, stand therefore with truth. So over and over again in the space of three verses, he's telling us to stand up against The evil one. And so the the picture that Paul paints for us is the enemy likened to an oncoming horde of soldiers rushing against us. And we, like Roman legionaries, are bracing ourselves for this attack, hoping to withstand that pressure. And another metaphor he uses as well in this passage is the image of a wrestler. In verse 12, Paul tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That word translated as struggle also means wrestle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, some people find the, the metaphor of wrestling strange because when we think of a Roman soldier decked out in full armor, we're not picturing him wrestling. In fact, back then, in those days, a wrestler wrestled with virtually no clothes on, let alone with a, a coat full of armor. But any MMA fan or fighter will tell you that the majority of fights end up on the ground. And that these Roman soldiers were trained to wrestle as well. And so by introducing this image of wrestling, what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that we are engaged in a long, drawn-out fight. That this is not some Mike Tyson bout that ends in the first round. No, this is a fight that takes us to the distance. It's a fight that will eventually end up on the ground as you grapple with your opponent, as you stand off with your opponent face to face until the last person is standing. Thankfully, God has not left us defenseless, He has given us the full armor of God. This armor, according to verse 11, is designed to help us stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, there are a couple ways I could have approached this passage as far as preaching it to you. One common way is to simply go verse by verse and unpack the significance of every single piece of armor. But since we have time constraints, I'm not going to take that approach. Rather, what I'm going to do is focus on the schemes of the devil and talk about what his main strategies, tactics, and methods are in trying to overcome us and then move on to show how the full armor of God helps us and protects us against those tactics. And as you might guess, when it comes to Satan's tactics... I am going to share three with you this morning. First, the Bible makes clear that Satan loves to deceive. He's known as the deceiver. Revelation 12.9 tells us that Satan deceives the whole world. In John 8.44, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. Satan's first recorded words in the bible are words of deception you might remember he approaches eve in the garden and says did god really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden and if you know your bible's well we're like what are you talking about satan god never told eve you can't eat from any tree in the garden the reality is, God told Eve, you can eat from every tree except one. And yet Satan twists and, 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 and deceives and takes the words of God until it's no longer true. Today, I wonder how many people refuse to believe in the Bible because of things they think the Bible says when it doesn't really say it. If you've ever been to a swap meet, you'll know that the reason why things are so cheap is why. It's because most of the products that are sold are fake. They're counterfeits. They're knockoffs. You can buy a pair of Adidas complete with two stripes, right? You can buy a pair of Nikes with a backwards swoosh. I had a roommate in college who used W-tips. Not Q-tips, but W-tips. And one thing about counterfeits is we know that they're never as good as the real thing. Well, when you read the scriptures, it becomes clear that our God is a God who creates, but Satan counterfeits. God creates, but Satan counterfeits. He takes what God creates and repurposes them so that no longer are they gifts to us, no longer are they good for us, but they become gods to us. We've looked at this phenomenon in the past couple of weeks, how, God, how Satan takes the goods of this world, and turns them into counterfeit gods. We've seen how children are good gifts from God, but they really are crummy gods to us. We've seen how our jobs and careers are good gifts from God, but they make really crummy gods. Material is good. Materialism, not so much. Alcohol is good. It's a gift, believe it or not. Alcoholism, not so much. It doesn't really make a good God of your life. Tradition is good. Traditionalism, not so much. Science is good. Scientism, however, doesn't make a good God. Science may be able to teach you what you're made of, but it cannot teach you what you are made for. Science might explain how the universe came to be, but it cannot explain why the universe came to be. Science might be able to equip you on how to solve world hunger, but science cannot give you the compassion you need to solve world hunger. There are many good gifts God has blessed us within this world. But the moment we elevate these gifts ahead of the giver is the moment that Satan has won with his deceptions. As great as these gifts are, they can never replace the giver. And this is why we need to put on the armor of God. This is why we need the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The best way to sniff out counterfeits is by knowing the real thing. I cannot tell the difference between a genuine Prada bag or a counterfeit one. I have no clue, right? But a a Prada dealer can sniff one out a mile away. I can't tell the difference between a fake Picasso or a genuine Picasso But an expert on Picasso can identify a counterfeit a mile away. In the same way, if we're going to protect ourselves from the deceit and counterfeits of the devil, the best way to do that is to immerse ourselves in the truth of God and get to know the one true living God. The best ways to spend time with him in his word, familiarize ourselves with who he is, what he likes, what he's like, and what he doesn't like. Once you know the thrill of experiencing what it is to know God and be known by him, once you've experienced the thrill of loving God and being loved by God, once you've experienced the the joy of serving God and being served by Him, the counterfeits then have lost their power on us because no matter how good they might try to bless us with, it cannot compare with the good and joy we have in Christ. No matter how high you climb the, the corporate ladder, no matter how widely you publish your books, no matter how amazing your spouse and marriage might be, no matter how amazing, your kids could be, as great as those gifts are, when you're experiencing what it's like to commune and walk with God, we say, thank you, but I still have it better with him. And those counterfeits, those idols, lose their power. And so, dear church, we need to immerse ourselves in truth and commune with the one true living God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, there's another tactic that I want to mention that is so effective today, especially with the invention of the smartphone. As much as Satan loves to deceive us, He also loves to distract us. If you think about it, there's two ways to attack your enemy. One way is to go through the hard work of fighting your enemy on the front lines and injuring him. That takes a lot of energy. Or you can simply distract him so that he never gets to the front line. This tactic is reflected in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. For those of you unfamiliar, these are letters written by a senior demon whose name is Screwtape, who's uh, writing letters to his apprentice Wormwood on the fine art of temptation. And in one of his letters, he tells Wormwood, you know what, don't be like all the other tempters They're so ambitious and they're trying to strive for spectacular sins. They're trying to get their patience to commit murder or to commit adultery. But but Wormwood, don't go down that path. Because you see, there are less spectacular sins that are just as effective. He writes, quote, but do remember The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The enemy is God here. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. In C.S. Lewis' day, there may have been many distracted by playing cards. But today, there is so much more at Satan's disposal. Instagram, YouTube, Netflix, video games even shopping, finding the best deal. We can waste hours of our time online. Sure, we may not be out there partying, clubbing, getting wasted and doing drugs. Sure, we're not out there breaking the law or committing any crimes. But at the end of the day, all Satan really wants to achieve is to get us disengaged and disconnected from God. And if that's his goal, then a pack of playing cards is just as effective as a knife. As long as he distracts us and keeps us on the sidelines, he wins. I mean, imagine with me for a moment if we took a fraction of the time we spend distracted and actually used it for kingdom purposes. If we took that time, I don't know if you've seen that video where if we treated uh, our phones like our Bibles, right? And you see a guy like taking the Bible into the bathroom, reading on the toilet, first thing he grabs when he wakes up is the Bible. And it's funny because you realize how ridiculous it is how often we look at our phones. But consider for a moment if we take a fraction of that time and used it for kingdom purposes, used it to disciple our children, used it to to encourage our spouses, used it to, to serve the church, to text someone, see how they're doing, to pray and spend time with God, to minister to the least of these in this world. We could do a lot. Today, Satan doesn't have to fight us to death. He simply amuses us to death. And that's why we need to put on the armor of God. And when you put on that armor, you realize, I'm actually a soldier. You put on that uniform and it reminds you, I'm in a battle, a spiritual battle. 2 Timothy 2 verse 4 no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please a commanding officer. Tactic number three. As much as Satan loves to deceive us, distract us, he also loves to accuse us. Revelation 12 verse 10 describes Satan as the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night. If you ever get a glimpse of Satan, most likely you'll see him with a pointed finger pointing at our flaws, pointing at our pet sins, pointing at our weakness, pointing at our hypocrisy, pointing at our failures. He loves to shame us. He loves to guilt us. He loves to, uh, to point out our failures. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you heard some of these accusations from him this morning. Why are you confessing your sins? Don't you know you're just going to commit them again? How can you sing as if nothing happened this past week? What a hypocrite. Why go to church this morning? You're just a fraud. You don't really love Jesus. You're just pretending. For, one, for me, one thing that I often find myself doing, and I actually say this out loud, is I'll say, Jeff, you're so stupid. I'll think of something from the past, something I regret, something embarrassing, or something may have just happened in the present, and I'll say out loud, Jeff, you're so stupid. Now, I don't track how often I say it, but my guess is a few times a week. And so what do you think is the cumulative impact of all these accusations we hear one thing's for sure it's going to sap your morale siphon off your energy and sap your joy when you're feeling shame and regret when you're feeling overwhelmed by guilt the last thing you want to do is run and fight no what you want to do is run and hide Now, you might be wondering, but Jeff, how do you differentiate the difference between the accusations of Satan and the convictions of the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible does tell us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And so how do I know if it's Satan or if it's the Spirit? I think one easy way to discern is how you want to respond to that. You see, Satan accuses us of our sin in order to destroy our relationship with God. The Spirit convicts us of our sin in order to restore our relationship with God if your impulse is to want to turn and hide like Adam and Eve did, if your impulse is to distance yourself and disconnect from God because of your sin, that's the evil one. The Spirit convicts us in order to restore our relationship with God And this is why we need the armor of God, because the reason why we want to turn and hide is because we have a false assumption about God. We're assuming that God is angry with us, that in light of our shame, he must be ashamed of us we're assuming that because of what we've done, God's going to chastise us, God is disappointed with us, God is going to punish us. And so why else would we turn to God when we're expecting, anticipating negative feelings from Him? But notice in the armor of God, we have the shield of faith we have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the helmet of salvation. When we put on the full armor of God, it helps us to see that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that the only emotion God has towards us, yes, even in our worst moments, the only emotion he has towards us is love, a yearning to forgive, to restore, to comfort, to embrace. That is the true nature of our God. And when we see that, that makes us want to run and hide in him, not from him. I have a friend who has military training and he, for the past few years, has been in the Ukraine to help train the civilians there and also to bring civilians away from dangerous zones into safer areas. And last year, uh, when he was in the States, he asked for donations because he wanted to purchase Kevlar blankets. The reason why he wanted to purchase Kevlar blankets is because when he transports civilians into safe places, he's often shot at, and so he wants a blanket to surround the family in the backseat of the car. Dear friends, the gospel is that Kevlar blanket that extinguishes the arrows and accusations of the evil one. The gospel declares that every sin we committed has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more, not in part, but the whole. The gospel declares to us that even when Satan brings legitimate evidence against us, even when he brings legitimate accusations against us, that evidence, that case will not stick. Why? Because Jesus has died for those sins, paid the price for the sins, and given us his righteousness to cover us and protect us. When we put on the armor of God... The arrows and accusations of the devil no longer have any merit, no longer have any effect because Jesus is our advocate who intercedes for us. This reminds me of a scene in The Lord of the Rings before you groan because you've heard so many illustrations from The Lord of the Rings, from the pulpit. There's that scene in The Two Towers movie where all the good guys. Gondor is holed up at Helm's Deep. And you have Saruman's army of orcs and urukai marching their way towards Helm's Deep, and the numbers are vast. So outnumbered is the fledgling army of Rohan. They need to enlist even young boys. And there's that one scene where you see a young boy in armor that's way too big for him. Has a baby face and he looks terrified. And so Aragorn comes by, takes the boy's sword, swishes it around, gives it back to him and says, this is a good sword. And what's funny is when you look at the sword, it's rusted over, it's old, it's got chips in it. It's not a good sword. But Aragorn, seeing how scared the kid is, is trying to encourage him. And perhaps some of you can identify with this young boy. Right now you're thinking to yourself, I am way too inexperienced to be in this battle. A soldier of God, that's the last thing I am. You feel somewhat awkward putting on the full armor of God. Talk about imposter syndrome. You're lining up with everyone else and you're thinking to yourself, what in the world am I doing here? But here in our passage, God does more than just give us some false hope. He does more than just give us a pep talk. He doesn't just take our sword and say, this is a good sword. What I haven't told you yet is that this passage here in Ephesians 6 actually is inspired by an Old Testament passage that Paul is drawing from. He's specifically drawing from the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, you have a prophecy of the divine messianic warrior. For example, in chapter 59, verses 16 through 17, we read this. He saw that there was no man. This is God. He was amazed that there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation and his own righteousness supported him. He put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. Not only that, but in Isaiah 11, we read this divine messianic warrior a belt of truth around his waist and so this warrior wears a breastplate of righteousness a helmet of salvation and a belt of truth and what Paul is telling us is the armor that we are called to put on is nothing less than the very armor that Jesus wore himself. He is that divine messianic warrior who conquered sin, Satan, and death. And it is that helmet that he now asks us to wear. It is his righteousness that we are to don on ourselves. It is his belt of truth, his shield of faith. Not only that, but in this battle, as we sang earlier This morning, the battle has already been won. The decisive death blow was struck when Jesus rose from the dead. And it's only a matter of time before God consummates his kingdom and ushers in the kingdom of God in its entirety. And so we need not fear the devil. He cannot kill us. He cannot wound us. He cannot hurt us. For those of you who grew up with Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers, what happens when you touch the dancing star? You become invincible, right? And the music goes on, and once you become invincible, what do you do? Do you play conservatively and stand in the background? No, you're going and attacking everyone you can, because they can't hurt you. I know it's a lame metaphor, but it works. (laughs) Now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, In the same way, in this battle that we are engaged in, Satan cannot hurt us. We're invincible. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so this this victory that is ours and secured by Jesus motivates us, even the most fearful soldier, to come off the sidelines and get in the game. Brothers and sisters, this is the victory of our Lord. This is the call that that God has given us, it is my prayer that as a church, we would stop falling for the deceptions, the distractions, and stop buckling under the accusations of the evil one. Rather, let's put on the armor of God every morning and fight for him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that it is not our righteousness that serves as our armor, but your righteousness. Thank you. It's not our sword, our wisdom, but it's your word. Thank you, O Lord, that you have gone before us and dealt the death blow. Thank you that it's only a matter of time where you will consummate your victory. And Lord, in light of that victory, may we stand up to the devil. May we get into the battle and start fighting for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.